A little while ago, we built a garden in our backyard. It was a veggie patch. And we were able to fill it with matured horse manure. Which doesn't sound very nice, but plants love it. And if it's matured, it's not a problem. If it's unmatured, it can create issues. Uh, but this stuff was matured, which means it had sat there for a long time. It had lost all its smell, and it had just turned into nitrogen-rich soil. And we filled this, this garden bit up, and it breaks down after a while, and everything that grew in it just exploded. In fact, I, I planted some cherry tomato plants, and they went spastic. That's the best way I can put it. Like They just went everywhere and anywhere. I, had tr I was trying to hold them up and with different things and I bought this tomato plant rack thing and that couldn't hold it. And By the end of the season, I decided, oh, look, I'm just going to pull it out. It had wilted a little bit and uh, we went through a really hot summer and uh, well, we got some heat anyway. And, uh, and so, you know... It had to be pulled out. And you can only reap what you've sown. I cannot reap what I haven't sown. If I plant tomato seeds in the ground, I have an expectation that I will get a tomato plant. I don't plant tomato seeds in the ground and expect to get an apple tree. I can't. I can only get what I've sown. But in order to benefit from the seeds, I need to tend them, right? If you put really good soil down, which we did, and you put the seeds in there and you water them and you put some extra nutrients and you can buy those fandangle things now from the big green shed, there's a good chance that those seeds will germinate and produce a plant and you'll get a mighty harvest from whatever you're looking for. But if I don't water them and we don't get any rain, which is a high possibility in Queensland, there's a good chance that one, those seeds won't germinate, and two, those seeds will not grow, and those seeds will not develop. If I plant the seeds in horrible soil, and look, you don't have to go too far to find some horrible soil. Um, my neighbour has, and his front hasn't really done anything with his front, and he asked me about my lawn. And he says, um, what kind of lawn is that? Because that's what I want. And I said, um, there's a lot of work that's gone into that. <laughs> I have a great lawnmower guy and he comes over and freaks out every other year when I ask him to cut it down real thing. But uh, then, he, then he reaps the benefit of looking like the awesome lawnmower guy who looks after my lawn because of all the hard work I put in. It's almost like this thing, he wants to put a sign on the front of the lawn from now onwards and take it down after we shred it. But if I plant those seeds in horrible soil, but I don't look after the soil, if I do nothing with it, things won't grow like they're meant to. There's not enough nutrients for the seeds. And there's not enough nutrients for the plants. And funny enough, because a single cherry tomato had fallen off the plant and sat in dormant conditions, this year we got a cherry tomato plant. <laughs> and it's awesome because the kids love it. They get to pick the cherry tomatoes every, well at the moment, it's every day they go out and they pick a few. We tell them, don't pick that one, that'll be ripe tomorrow. 
But I didn't play any this year. Because one single tomato had fallen down and sat in the soil, gone dormant until the right conditions so it could grow. In Matthew 17, 20, it says, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. If you don't know anything about mustard seeds, mustard seeds are tiny. They're teensy-weensy. They actually are like little black, if I had one. I probably would have dropped it and it would have been null and void. But I could probably pick up a bit of grain of dirt and put it on my finger and get away with it. But that's how big a mustard seed is. And when you plant a mustard seed in the ground, eventually it'll grow into this massive tree. Massive tree. And if you cultivate the ground, if you look after the soil, the tree grows massive. Because there's potential in that seed, even a tiny, tiny little seed that is so hard to understand that something so big can come out of it. It's like a tomato plant, right? You take that tiny little seed, that one single seed, and you can reap so many cherry tomatoes from that one single seed. One single seed. Now, everybody has a measure of faith inside of them. Everybody has a single measure of faith that has been put inside of you. And in Romans 12.3 it says, For though the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as he have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each measure of faith. It's important to understand that you have a measure, a measure, it doesn't need to be a big measure. It can be a teensy-weensy measure, like the side of a mustard seed. But if you plant that, if you look after that measure of faith, it will grow into something that is truly magnificent. It all depends on what we actually do with that seed of faith. Think of it like a muscle. For some of the guys here, that's not hard. Right. We all have different names for our arms, I suppose. My son at the moment thinks his arms are guns. Right. But if you don't use a muscle, you will lose it. I have muscles in my right arm that have lost connection to the central nervous system. And when they lose the connection to the central nervous system, they deteriorate. If I compare my left arm or left hand to my right hand, it's much, much smaller. It's much smoother too. My wife loves it. Oh, it's so smooth. <laughs> but if you compare them, you, there is a noticeable difference. It's because all the muscles in my arms have been severed from the connection of the central nervous system. They no longer need the nutrients that they did because they're no longer in function and they have simply shrunk. They have been disconnected from the signal. And the muscle no longer connected is no longer getting the nutrients it needs and it simply begins to fade away. If I compare my left arm to my right arm, it's remarkably different. And in the same way, a muscle that is regularly used will grow and develop. I was out there shoveling some dirt and soil and sand 
And there were moments when my family helped me, and there were other moments my my family were like, we're busy. And, and what hurt the most wasn't the back, it was my forearm. Because how I hold a shovel is I hold it around the neck, but it's my forearm that actually supports it. And funny enough, there were a lot of cars that drove past. No one stopped. <laughs> but if I work my muscle, right, if I work it hard, it will begin to grow and become stronger and develop. If I don't do anything with it, it will grow weaker. If I disconnect it from the central nervous system, it will fade away. Because strength actually comes from using the muscle. If you look at those big bodybuilders or those big power lifters, they're really strong because they lift lots and lots of weight. Right? They're building their muscles, eating the right nutrients, feeding their body, so their body will build lots and lots of muscles and they can stand there and look like whatever you want to call them. Because we all have a measure of faith. We all have an amount of faith. And depending on what we do with that faith will depend on whether or not it will strengthen or whether or not it will fade away. And unless we use our faith, it will not, cannot grow. Faith is believing what you cannot see will come to pass. Fear is believing what you cannot see will come to pass. I had to read this multiple times, I have to be honest with you. It's one of those statements that started ringing in my head over and over again. And, and the first time I read it, I was like, I'm pretty sure that said the exact same thing. And it does. Faith is believing what you cannot see will come to pass. And fear is believing what you cannot see will come to pass. It depends on if you're in a place of fear or if you're in a place of faith. That's why our words have so much power. Our confession, what we say, what we hold to, what we believe. Right now, there is so much panic. It's almost chaos. If you listen to how the Americans are viewing what's happening in Australia, they think it's absolutely insane. There's so much fear and pandemonium. Let me just dispel a few things because it's really important because lots of bad information going out there. If you want to get the jab, get the jab. You will not be discriminated at this church. Okay? I don't care. It's not, it's not the mark of the beast. It's not got to do with end times. It's a load of rubbish. Okay? There's no scriptural proof to say that the jab has got anything to do with the end times theology or with um, the mark of the beast. Okay? It's got nothing to do with it. If you want to get the jab, get the jab doesn't worry me. If you don't want to get the jab, don't get the jab. Right? I'll love you regardless. Okay? Because it's not about a position on this. This is about a personal thing that each person needs to make their own choice on. Okay? That's as simple as that. I've just lost my place, but it's all good. But if you look at that passage, that little, ma that little quote... It has so much truth to it. Depending on your position, whether it be faith or whether it be fear, it's depending on what you see will take place. If I stand in a position of fear, 
world is in chaos. If I stand in a position of faith, knowing that God is still on the throne, then what do I have to worry about? I know where I'm going. I know that if anything takes place in my life, if I am not here tomorrow, I know exactly where I'm going. I have no reason to fear. I have the faith knowing that what I did all those years ago when I allowed Jesus into my life, when I accepted what God had done for me and when I received the Holy Spirit to move through me and walk with me, that I am saved by grace, not by my actions, not by my works, but by His grace. And I have no reason to fear. Faith is belief in action. And when I struggle to have faith, it's probably because I might be in a position of fear. There is so much power in our confession. The words that we say. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, You brought of vipers. How can you say being evil? Speak what is good, for the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. And Jesus was talking to the religious people of the day, and he's basically calling them a bunch of vipers, a bunch of snakes, a bunch of serpents, because what was coming out of their mouth didn't line up with what was actually in the word. You're not speaking what is positive. You're not speaking out of faith. You're speaking a position out of fear. What flows out of our mouth, the words that we speak, are the words that we believe. A person with faith should confess faith. So here's my question What is being spoken out of your mouth? Is it fear? Or is it faith? Hebrews 11.6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Faith is belief in action. Our faith in God becomes an action or an application in seeking God. And God rewards those who seek him. And Paul said in Philippians 3.14, I press on towards the goal of, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The truth of the matter is our truest reward for those who believe in God is eternity with him. That doesn't mean there aren't rewards or blessings on this earth, but our truest reward is an eternity with Him. Now that should give us some comfort because it means that no matter what happens in this earth or on this planet or around me is only a drop of water in the ocean compared to my eternity. The goal in any race is to the finish line. The prize is the award presented to the winner. In life, the goal is to finish well, to finish the life that we live well. And the prize, the ultimate prize is the crown of righteousness in eternity. 
The upward call of Christ includes all the purposes of God. That everything that he has in mind for us, salvation, conformity to Christ, joint heirship with him, a home, a home in heaven, or depends on your theology, and so many other numerous spiritual blessings. Because we are called and we are chosen to be the people who whatever is before us, we speak the promises of God. That we confess from our mouths what lies in our hearts. Because it's the soil that represents our hearts. How we cultivate the soil prepares for the seed. How we cultivate our hearts prepares for what God wants to give us. And that will determine our fruit. If I don't look after the tomato plant, if I leave it to the nature, right? I stick it in any sort of soil that I can find. I don't water it. I don't give it any nutrients, no fertilizers, no nothing. And then I turn up with the expectation, where is your fruit? I will only be met with disappointment. But I stick that same seed in soil that has been cultivated, prepared, right? The right stuff, a bit of mulch on top, some bit of fertilizer, maybe some, I don't know, you know that wet stuff, the water, right? And the ground doesn't dry out. And I look after the plant, make sure the sun is shining. Those little flowers will turn to fruit. And when I go to it, I will reap the fruit the reward of the planting, the reward of the cultivation will be found. They say if you speak to plants, it helps them grow. My wife is, has done really well with her lily at the front of the house. Secretly, she doesn't know that I've been helping her. Do you speak to your plant? You do you speak to your plant? Yeah. It's still alive. It's still alive. It's doing well. It's green. It's healthy. Every so often the kids come. We can't have a shower. Can we have a bath? Why, why can't you have a shower? Mum stuck her plant in the shower. <laughs> oh, we won't go there. I wonder how many times we live our lives with all the chaos going around us that we absorb the chaos rather than the word. You know, how many times we, we get shaken where we are because something didn't quite work out the way we wanted to. See, God is working in all of our lives. And oftentimes we don't see him working but it doesn't mean that he's not working. When I got born again, God took me on this little journey and he showed me different instances of my life when he was physically, or not physically, but working in my life, stopping things from happening and allowing other things to take place. It's quite interesting. He didn't show me my whole life. He just showed me little bits and pieces. Just just show me that he was there even when I was not walking after him. 
because he doesn't stop working. He never stops working. He never sits there and leaves us to the side and says, oh, you're on your own, have fun. Right? He doesn't plant us in rubbish soil and go, best of luck. I hope there's a bit of a rainstorm coming. He gives us every single opportunity. He puts people around us. He speaks hope. And even in the midst of chaos, there can be light shining brightly. And the orchestration that happens on God's behalf is truly, truly remarkable. It's breathtaking. To see God working in my kids' lives. And there are often times when I have to stop because I have just seen that God is working. And I don't want to stuff it up. There are times when I, God gives me something to intercede for. There's times when he gives me things that I need to step in for. There's times when I need to back off. Same thing with my wife. There are times when I need to learn how, when I speak. And there are times when I know I need to button it. There are times I allow my wife to experience things on her own. There are also times when I will support her and stand with her through it. Well, I hope I will stand with her through everything. But and there are times when I just need to back off and allow things to take place. There are times that I get it drastically wrong, and there are times that I look like a genius. I've always said that God plays chess, not checkers. He's not in it for the short game. He is in it for the long game. Because he's not in it for one or two people. He's in it for the whole of humanity. And he is, without a doubt, an expert at chess. Faith is believing even when God doesn't move in our time. When we don't see the visible results before us. And then there are times that he is working blatantly in front of us. There are times like someone came and did my lawn coring and I didn't have to push the heavy machine through and you get a little God wink. Knowing that God is still there, that God has it, he is with you regardless of what is happening around you. And the greatest tool that we have the greatest tool that we have been given in life is often underappreciated. It's often underutilized. It's prayer. In my life, I know that even in all the times I spend in prayer, I don't pray enough. And you can't tell me at any point in time in your life that God is unable to do something, that God cannot do something, that God is physically not able to change what is before you because all I'm going to do is I'm going to point you to the Bible. And I'm going to toint, uh, toint, point you to men of history, men and women of history who have seen God move drastically and mightily in all the things and aspects of their lives. And if you don't believe me, read the Bible. And if you have doubt of how accurate the Bible is, let me explain this really simply. This book, well not this exact book, but the Bible, is historically the most accurate book ever written. Meaning that every event in history in the Bible written 
can historically be put back into history. They can prove that those stories actually took place, that those stories actually happened. They can prove the Red Sea. They can prove the 11 plagues on Egypt. They can prove uh, Mount Sinai when they acknowledge that Mount Sinai exists. They can prove the flood because they found Noah's Ark, but they don't want you to know about it. (laughs) They can prove all these things in history. You can read the stories of the miracles that took place and know without a doubt that if God did it then, there's no reason why he can't do it now. Just whether or not we are going to choose to believe, whether or not we can put our faith into action, when we can have a choice to believe that that tiny little seed that's been planted in the ground can grow and produce fruit. But the power to choose life and death is actually in your tongue. It's in your ability to speak it out. There are so many times when I've looked at the scenarios around me, when the odds look like they're stacked against us, and I can still speak the words, God, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it again. There have been times in our past or in our past, when our finances were zip, 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 dot, zip, zip, zip. And you say, God, only you, man, only you, because I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I've given you everything I got, and I've got nothing else to give, and if you don't come through, we're in trouble. And God comes through. See, the reward of faith is to see God move in your lives. It's to bear fruit. It's to bear fruit regardless of the situation around you, the circumstances, the hardships. That even in a drought, a little tomato plant can produce fruit. But in order for all that to take place, Jesus needs to be the center of our lives. And the reason why God sent His only begotten Son is because without His actions on the cross, without His sacrifice, God's love cannot be proven. Because there was a separation between mankind, between all the wrong things we had done, we were unable to be reunited with the mighty God. And so Jesus, as the perfect sacrifice, laid down his life as our punishment for our crimes and died in our stead that paved the way so that we could be in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. That is the gospel in a nutshell. And there's so much more depth into it and there's so much more that comes out of it. But the simplicity of it is He died for us. And we can choose to accept that. We can choose to acknowledge it. Or we can choose to reject it. That's our choice. That's our prerogative. But our faith 
gives us an insight and how we perceive God. The words we speak show us how we see God. Can he? Perhaps he can, but you don't think he will for you. Perhaps you think you've read your stories and it's like, oh, wow, they're great stories. But that's where it lies, perhaps. But his love is unmeasurable. And it's when we receive him that we become his children. Born again into a new family. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not accepted his actions for your own, then I invite you today to do that exact same thing. Acknowledge him just like so many of us have already done at some point in our lives. Receive his actions as your own and be born again and welcomed into the family of God. We're not a bunch of crazy people. We're just a bunch of people who love God, who are a community for a community and just want to love on people, who come and celebrate all the things that he has done in our lives. Support each other and connect with each other and share our lives with each other. That's it. That's simplicity. But I'm going to pray. And if you want to know Jesus, I'll be down the front. You can come and talk to me and come through a short little prayer. Well, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that the true reward of faith is eternity with you. But you also like to bless your children here on earth. That you give us nuggets, you give us God winks, that you help us bear good fruit. So I ask you to bless your people, fill them with your love, guide them and direct them in all that they do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.